Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Bros and Pistons podcast. It's February 22nd and today Alex and I will welcome a special guest, Charles Burhan. Uh, hey guys. Yeah, and he's been, you know, a long, long time Pistons emailer with Alex and I, or more with Alex and, and I've been joining in recently, just deep insights, a lot of paragraphs about the Pistons even through our d- darkest years. So he's a, as diehard as they come. A true friend of the podcast and one of our precious non-blood relative re- listeners. So, uh, well... Uh, welcome, Charles. It's good to be here. Thanks, guys. So last time we talked about a month ago, we were riding high uh, at full strength, one of the top five teams in the league at sort of the points per, the points differential per 100 possessions, uh, playing really well. I think we had you know won 12 out of 17. Uh, we're looking really good. And then right after that, Jennings got injured, and we haven't even talked since then. Uh, and, of course, more recently – we, there was all these trades just happened where we picked up Reggie Jackson and Tayshawn Prince. So, but before we dive into the implications of the trade, how have we been doing since the Jennings injury? Like, are we as bad as we were before or kind of in the middle? I mean, the, the way I saw it was that, uh, until the injury, uh, we, we somehow looked like we were playing like a top five team. We were actually playing like an above average team that was playing above itself or playing really well. Um, we were shooting a little bit hot. Um, but you know, we were playing hard and it was working out and then we, you know, we, things just went, went to hell uh, more or less. I mean, we were, we just started to come back down to earth, look more like an average team. We started losing some games we should win. Like recently we lost to the Timberwolves at home, um, where things would just get out of hand. We would have low energy and you see, uh, Van Gundy flapping his arms at the sideline after every, of the every defensive possession where he'd be frustrated that somebody lost his man or something like that. We, we weren't going down to like, you know, among the five or 10 worst teams in the league, but we were, you know, it just, it was just a crash back to earth. Yeah. I think notably our offense not, didn't go quite as bad as it was before. We went from 107 points, uh, 107 offensive re- rating down to 103 before we were all the way down to 97, but our, our defense regressed all the way back to 105 and our record was has been five and seven. We're it just it wasn't looking good for making the playoffs anymore because we were a sub five hundred team and we needed to at least tread water uh, to I think to 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 have a chance. Well, how about you, Charles? Any other anything else to add? You know, guys, I think for me uh, the the Jennings period was was sort of about the identity of the team uh, early in the season. You know, we we had Josh Smith and and things just didn't work. Uh, you know, he seemed to think that we were asking him to, to carry a lot of the load offensively. Uh, that wasn't working within the scheme of things. Uh, it, you know, we had breakdowns where, you know, the ball would stop and it wasn't moving. And then when he left and, and, and Jennings took over, we, we had a new identity and it was all about Jennings. And it was great. I mean, Jennings is this guy that's now, you know, his career is accentuated by these two brief periods. When he first came into the league and he scored 50 points uh, with Milwaukee and people thought he was the next great guard. And, and now this period here, you know, the last 15 games or so where, you know, he, he really was one of the top five point guards in the league. And, you know, we, we sort of rallied around that and, and it worked for us. But, but then when he left uh, with that injury, just, just terrible injury, it, it seemed like we fell back to this team that, you know, didn't have an identity, didn't have difference makers who could get things done on their own. And we were just sort of back to being a mid-league team in the East. Yeah, having that guy, having that guy who can uh, have the confidence to just take a shot and, and get hot and make a couple 
Uh, rather than everyone just sort of looking around at each other and passing it around the wing until the shot clock's down to five. I mean, we, we have some talented guys, as you know, KCP showed by hitting six threes in our game this afternoon and stuff. But but just just that that step back or you know, really high release jump shot, just something where you can get a shot off. You know, there's a there's a reason why people value high usage rate players, and it's because they're the guys who can get a, a an okay shot off in a time where your offense isn't working. And Jennings stepped up and he got a little bit hot, and he was that guy. He showed those flashes. And I think I think you're right. We rallied around that identity. Uh, I think we can see from the fact that we did that trade that uh, Van Gundy uh, had not exactly handcuffed himself to that identity uh, because he traded for a guy that he is talking like is the long-term replacement rather than temporary fill-in for Brandon Jennings trading for Reggie Jackson. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about so uh, losing DJ Augustine. I think DJ was Augustine was actually playing really well. For, you know, kind of for his potential and for his size, I think it just wasn't. I, I didn't seem like the future for us, so I can see why we, if you, why we would trade him for Reggie Jackson. But if you compare their numbers in terms of just, you know, their efficiency, they're not really. They're pretty similar. I mean, it's not like Reggie Jackson is already way better than than Jennings. I mean, than than Augustine. But it just didn't feel like if if Augustine like he, he couldn't really be like our starting point guard that would lead us to like be the foundation to build towards something greater. And Jackson seems to have a lot more potential in terms of his size, uh, his ability to become a, a good defender, uh, and and just sort of like athleticism. Like, like he, It's almost like he's this really athletic guy who puts up decent numbers who hasn't really grown to be great yet, but he could. Whereas Jennings was kind of like, I mean, whereas Augustine was almost playing beyond his, beyond his potential and still it wasn't that great. He was playing pretty well, but as a fill-in. Yeah, I, I feel like um, Augustine is this weird player where he was a lottery pick, and then he somehow fell out of favor. I think it was Charlotte that had drafted him. Um, I think Larry Brown started coaching there, and just somehow word got out that he absolutely hated Augustine, and it just like destroyed Augustine's career. And then Augustine caught on with the Bulls and had, had a hot. Uh, uh, stretch there off the bench of when uh, Rose was out with injury and he played really well and everyone loved him, but then they didn't make sure they hung on to him. And then he, he started playing well for us in a stretch as a fill in role. And then we just sort of trade him for a guy who's, who's about the same. So it, it must be one of those things where he does some things really well that the fans can notice. And then he must do some things really poorly that coaches notice. Uh, and numbers wise, I noticed in particular the, the ESPN's real plus minus metric, which I kind of don't understand, but they talk about it like it means a lot. But anyway, they 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 claim that it that he that it's good at least, especially for defense. And I'm interested in someone who claims they can measure defense. He was one of the worst guys in the league last year from the point guard position on defense. What, I, I remember that because it was one, he was one of the few guys who was worse than Brandon Jennings on that measure. So uh, that's that's sort of how I'm making sense of this. Like, oh, we got a we got a decent guy who can we can probably sign keep long-term for a reasonable contract because the big question with production is at what price? I mean, Augustine wasn't going to make $10 million a year uh, going forward with us, and Reggie Jackson might. So we, Ben Gundy must have really seen something he liked with him. You know, guys, I, I think that the, the lens that I viewed this under was uh, what's the certainty going into next year? And when, when Jennings' injury occurred, 
What terrified me was having a team that was shackled to a point guard who may or may not be able to play next year. I mean, the, the Achilles injuries and in the all, history, yeah. yeah, yeah, the history of people recovering from those is not that good. There are a number of guys who never come back, and there are lots of guys who take a long time to come back. And then when those guys do come back, they're not nearly as good as they were. Uh, there, there was something that ESPN did uh, a couple years ago when when Kobe went down. But the, you know, their their takeaway was that in addition to losing nearly a year of playing time, you're going to come back at about ninety five percent of the player you were. And you know, Jennings looks pretty good under their metric because he's relatively young. But if Jennings isn't ready to play until December of next year, and he comes back five percent worse than he was, do we want him to be our starting point guard? Yeah, yeah, and. And also, I think his contract ends after next year, and then we would have to make a, a, a con- perhaps acrimonious contract decision. I mean, we still will have to, I suppose, but there's a lot less pressure on him to rush back, um, step back into that role of being the man. Um, if we have a guy who he's, you know, Jackson's going to start the final 30 games of this year, and if we resign him, uh, you know, be potentially the starter. The incumbent starter when when Jennings comes back. I I just met, read someone's offhand comment today, pointing out that uh, Jonas Drebko, one of the guys out the door in the Tayshon Prince deal, mainly he was just an expiring contract. By the way, it wasn't any reflection on him. Um, he tore his Achilles in 2011, and only really late last year, early this year, was starting to look like the guy we thought he was going to be. Um, it just takes a few years to 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 get back sometimes. Um, you know, it just it just sucks so bad for Jennings. Really, he was just starting to be the guy he thought he was all along. You know, yeah, I, I think looking at it through the risk management is a is a great way to look at it because it it could just be that now we are we have a couple of uh, scenarios to look at. We have like what thirty more games to see how well Jackson can play. If we if we had like just signed Jackson to like a four year forty year forty million dollar deal, I would be upset. But we have. We have like 30 games to decide whether he's worth that. And if he's not, then we have perhaps an asset for a sign-in trade or something like that. And, and then we could see if maybe we, we can learn more how Jennings' recovery is going. Uh, <clears throat> maybe like worst slash best case scenario is that Jackson is awesome. We sign him and Jennings comes back and we have like two really good point guards. And then we could either play them both somehow or, or convince Jennings to be a backup or trade Jennings or, you know, it, it, I can see, I can see the thinking behind it, but sitting around and waiting to see, if Jennings is going to be as good, it would just seem like we get off to a clunky start next year. So, so, so setting J- uh, Jackson's contract aside for a second, uh, what what do we see in him? I mean, how, you know, Char- Charles, you had an interesting uh, take just from going back and watching some film of him to the extent that we fans can do that, which is to go on NBA.com and and look at clips from games on there, which is a really nice feature. Um, what what did you see from him there? You know, uh, he's an interesting player. He he has a lot of physical tools. Uh, he's tall for a point guard. He appears to be 6'2", 6'3". He's got exceptionally long arms. Uh, you notice it when he's dribbling the ball. You notice it when he's, you know, uh, putting his arms up and, and blocking passing lanes from other point guards. Uh, you know, so, so physically the pieces are there. He's got a jump shot that's a little slow to release, but, you know, seems reasonably fundamentally sound. Uh, he, he got it off a few times, you know, when he has space and time and he can hit his shot. But, you know, he needs a lot of space and a lot of time. Uh, he's really, really good at finishing at the rim. 
I had read that about him, but until you see him uh, actually take the ball in against you know a seven footer and finish over them, um, you, you don't realize that, that you're looking at a player who who has that that sort of John Wall, Dwayne Wade ability and length uh, to really get in there and get up and get over guys, and that's just something that that we haven't had. Um, on the downside, you know, he's he was not a very uh, interested or motivated defender. And I don't know if that's, you know, his personal inclination or, or the scheme or the fact that, you know, whatever he had going on with Oklahoma City, it seemed like uh, he wasn't all in there. Uh, but, but that seemed like the, the biggest question mark going forward uh, is can he come and play defense? Because uh, th- to me that was the big difference between Jennings and Augustine was Augustine, Augustine was just a matador. Like he was going under screens all the time. He wasn't stopping his man from penetrating. And Jennings this year, not Jennings last year, actually looked like a motivated defender. I, I don't know if it was if it was Van Gundy to credit or, or Jennings to credit, but uh, it wasn't the same player we saw last year. And and if we see that kind of transition, you know, Jackson could be a really really good player. Yeah, if you look at the, how our team changed once Jennings got injured, that kind of matches up. Where our offense only took a, a minor hit, but our defense took a major hit. And not only having Augustine out there, we you know we had an even worse uh, backup option with. John Paul, uh, well, I John, Lucas. No, John Lucas. John Lucas. Well, yeah. Is he listed at like five foot three or something? I mean, he's, he's tiny. Yeah. So like, I mean, he, he's going to be like, he's almost like the Augustine's, like the mini me of Augustine. Like he was kind of like, like he can run around really fast and he's impressive on offense and he actually was pretty good at just that on defense. There's no way he's going to be able to stop anyone of any size. Um, yeah, the only t- the only time diminutive, diminutive point guards ever really make it is when they're freakish athletes like uh, you know Nate Robinson or a Muggsy Bogues or a Spud Webb. But um, I, I don't know how short Lucas really is, but he's a you know he's a guy who typically has a ten day contract, a thirty day contract here and there in the league. He was signed up as he was signed as a stopgap. Um, you know what I what I saw from Jackson, I in addition to the physical attributes where he just looks like a potentially uh, earth-shattering defender again with his arm, long arms, and quickness is um, it's he his his actual production has not been that good. People make a big deal of the fact that when he was a starter this year, uh, this Russell Westbrook missed a bunch of the start of the season, uh, and he got a chance to start, and and um, Durant was out too, so he was an important piece of their offense. It was basically him and Serge Ibaka passing it back and forth, trying to avoid Kendrick Perkins accidentally touching the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he ended up having a, a usage rate of, of over 27%, which is, you know, kind of Carmelo Anthony territory. And so he scored 20 points per game and he had seven assists or something like that. But his offensive rating was, you know, was league average. It was like, it was like a fine for, for a solid rotation player, but not a guy who's one of the better offensive players on your starting lineup. That, that was just the efficiency of his production. So, you know, I guess don't overread into the, the fact that he put up some decent looking numbers when he was a starter. He was playing a lot of minutes and everyone who's a good offensive player was hurt during that stretch. And so, and then when you look a little more deeply, uh, he doesn't, he didn't hit threes very well this year, although he has at other times in his career. Um, last year, he hit them at a, at a sort of acceptable rate of 34%. But his career average is 29% from three in, uh, you know, a decent amount of attempts to where you really know that that's a good sample size. And he doesn't get to the free throw line much either, which is really weird for a guy 
who finishes so well at the rim. So he's like getting to the rim and just making a layup and not getting fouled. So he must be doing like a Tony Parker type of thing where he just always makes sure he's not going to get blocked. He's not taking it hard to the rack. He's shooting a, a little floater or a long-armed, you know, go-go gadget arm jumper up over somebody, doesn't take contact and makes the shot. You know, that could be good. You know, it's it, the fact that he got to the rim at all disrupts things and, you know, could could lead to some good things. But I'm just... Uh, yeah, those those were the two things that that Bill Simmons was hammering on in the trades, but and the sort of the trade weekend podcast oh. about. But he said like, yeah, I, I just don't trust point guards that, that that you can you can get away with not being good at threes or not getting to the to the free throw line, but he doesn't either, and that makes me nervous. Um, I think I also saw in an interview with Van Gundy, he said that he was aware of both of those things. So it's at least like. You know, he, I'm not sure if that that's a good thing or a bad thing, but like he was aware of that. But he, what what impressed him was his uh, like pick and roll ability. To, to did you guys remember him talking about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah he, I actually I had the quote right here. Uh, some some of the analytics on Jackson are very very good. There are very few guys that are across the board killing it in analytics. Reggie in a lot of areas stacks well, stacks up very good analytically. He's top ten percent in players in the league. In points per possession on pick and rolls, we obviously run a lot of pick and rolls, and he's one of the best pick and roll guys in the league. So that's what uh, that's what Van Gundy sees that the numbers don't show in terms of production, and we haven't seen on, on, on film. Is it must be that part where he gets by his man to where he can at least even shoot it at the rim that gets the defense rotating, that um, plants the seed for better things to happen. And that is what we hope will lead to a lot of Andre Drummond dunks and uh, offensive rebounds when Reggie misses. Mm-hmm. But, man, uh, this is where I really hope coaches are smarter than fans, uh, which they usually are, uh, because I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing his, his production. He's, he's 24 years old, so it's not like he's some 20-year-old who is, has three years to get better and better and better every year. I don't know, guys. You know, I, I think the the reason to be optimistic, a, a couple things. One, it, it's a scheme issue that you know, yeah, he's he's got talent running a pick and roll, and and we saw that today in the game where, you know, he does something coming off of of screens and picks where he sort of slows down a little bit, and he almost sucks in both defenders uh, better than most guys. Where where he realizes as a point guard, you know, one of his jobs is just to occupy extra people. And and I think it's something that he may be inclined to do because he's long enough to throw over those guys after he does it. And so he would draw in both his man and the help defender, allow his man to roll to the basket. And then he wasn't always able to make the pass, but but you could see he he knew what he was doing. Uh, But the other reason is just strict enthusiasm. Like, when is the last time someone wanted to come to Detroit? Like, I mean, his, his tweets afterwards that he was crying, you know, tears of joy after the trade was announced, uh, right to the, the, the pictures of him at the All-Star weekend wearing the Detroit Bad Boys hat. I mean, this, this is somebody who wanted to be here. And, and I wonder if it isn't a, a connection to uh, uh, Mr. Big Shot, actually. Uh, the, Reggie's from, from Colorado. Uh, when he would have been in high school coming up, Chauncey would have been in, in Detroit. And, you know, now we've got, you know, Jackson, we've got Dinwiddie, another guy from Colorado. Uh, you know, we've just got like this pipeline now of uh, Colorado <laughs> point guards. Oh, that's, wow, that's, inter- that's interesting. Uh, you know, speaking of, I-, I had just been thinking of Chauncey when we were talking about the three-pointers point, three or free throws thing. Chauncey hit a lot of threes and got to the free throw line a lot, but had a relatively modest usage rate. So he was like um, 
underappreciated among the average fan, but because he shot threes well and got to the free throw line and shot three free throws well and never turned the ball over, he had these monster efficiency years where people couldn't explain like, like that year that the the Pistons won over sixty games under Flip Saunders. We were we were better in both offensive rating and defensive rating, you know, both absolute and rank than the Atlanta Hawks are right now. And I compared the four all-star years, uh, the four all-stars, those two. And and it's like, how are the Pistons doing that? They just had the same old guys, no superstars. But Chauncey Billups was having a, one of the all-time great efficiency seasons. So uh, interesting that you guys bring that up because I had been thinking about uh, that that was an attribute Chauncey had. Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully uh, Reggie Jackson can absorb some of that or make the best of the strengths he brings to the table. A little more explosive, getting to the rack and finishing at the rim. I don't know. I got yeah. We got thirty games to try it out, and we got a coach who is excited about it, a point guard who's excited about it, and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's mustache is is our only backup plan at this point. <laughs> yeah, and, and Dinwiddie really did not look very confident in some of the games he was playing uh, back up to DJ. We said that's that's why we started going with John Lucas over him, and thankfully, even just. Against the Bulls, uh, Dinwiddie looked a lot better, so I'm, I'm hoping that he's going to be a little more promising. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I look at this just, just as like a chance. I mean, I think I'm guessing Van Gundy said all the right things to make Reggie Jackson feel like he's our future because that's really the best case scenario. But if he doesn't play well the rest of the season, we, we, we won't sign him, and, and I don't see why we would just. It's not like we have to pay him 12 million dollars a year or 10 million dollars a year, no matter what. What, what. How often do you get a chance to like evaluate someone for 30 games before you make a decision? Um, so I, I think I'm excited for that reason. We have more to look forward to and, and something to think about now than just sort of just like waiting for the season to kind of end or kind of like malaise out. Although I will I will say that um, Moose has been playing so well lately, and uh, that's that's been kind of like a fun thing to watch the last ten games, even even though we've been struggling a little bit. And it makes me think about what happens with that. I mean, we're kind of getting a little bit further out here, but um, that's another big question: is like without him. Uh, do we just have the, the room to, to, to sign someone who's a better match for Drummond? Or uh, that's to me, that's a, the, one of the biggest questions right now. So yeah, well, uh, I've got a question for you guys, um, and, and it, it, it ties into the Moose thing and into the Reggie Jackson thing. You know, so that there's a, a little bit of a, a salary cap quirk that that we're going to get this year now because we've got Jackson. Jackson doesn't make much money now; his cap hold for next year is not going to be that big. We've got Greg Monroe we've got to make a decision on. And up until this point, uh, Van Gundy had been telling everybody essentially, hey, we're, we're headed into 2016, and then we're going to make a big move. I'm not taking on money for 2016 if I don't have to. 2015 was seen as this sort of transition rebuilding year. But we're going to have an opportunity this year to sort of go all in. And it would look something like, you know, locking up Greg Monroe, uh, going out and getting another free agent at, at a max deal, and then signing Reggie Jackson to whatever money we need. And then we would have, you know, those guys with Drummond still locked up, with KCP still locked up. You know, so that's one option. The other option is do you kick the can down the road another year and maintain that flexibility? Because we can't do that and still have a lot of flexibility that next year. So what do you guys think? I think it depends on what, what our options are. I mean, what, would Monroe even sign with us right at this point? I mean, he's free to go. Um, like maybe maybe he has more confidence in Detroit as a future for him after having such a kind of medi- like a mediocre team to be be a part of for so many years. Uh, and then 
I know what one guy I'm drooling over that Alex mentions uh, before you know, a couple podcasts ago is Lamarcus Aldridge. <laughs> I mean, that's a big that's a big wish to to have as a, as a, someone living in a cold Midwestern city. But uh, he would be an even better fit for Drummond, I think, because he's someone who actually can can also shoot and spread the floor. Uh, whereas and Drummond wouldn't, and like Alex said last time, wouldn't be competing with him for the to be the guy go to guy on offense. <laughs> And, and, and to your to your point, Charles, we could. Uh, I think we have thirty million in cap room if we let Monroe go, and twenty million if we if we I, with Monroe's cap hold before we sign him. And so, why would he stay? The only thing I think we have over him, uh, leverage wise, is that we can sign him to a five year max instead of a four year max, being the incumbent team. And I think that's it. So. We, that that's the only reason he would ever even do a sign and trade with us to go to someone else. But he might just take the four year max to go away. And yeah, so, some of the greatest free agents out there are going to be the people who play Monroe's position. And then if we want, but if we want to not go all in this year, how how do you get a twenty million dollar can that that just kicks it down the road one year? Most most of the time, when you're spending that much money, you're you're spe- you're signing guys to multi year deals. So you're right, Charles. This is a really awkward. Uh, or you weren't saying this, but it makes me think this is a very awkward situation we're in. Where if we want to wait until the cap, salary cap goes way up in 2016, uh, what do we do with all our cap room next year? The and most of the things that are good to spend your cap room are are, are guys who play Greg Monroe's position. Greg Monroe is having this like inconveniently great season when he we're clearly trying to build for the long term around Drummond and guards and you know I think we can see Van Gundy's philosophy on role players with Jody Meeks and Anthony Tolliver who just all they do is play hard and jack up threes and make them and that's all they do and 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 they make some sort of you know modest amount of money you know Meeks is making um, you know maybe modest times 1.5 so yeah, I, you bring up some really important questions, and I don't know what the answer to them is. There's Paul Millsap, Lamarcus Aldridge, Kevin Love could opt out and be available. Not that he would sign with us, uh, although I keep mentioning it because I can't help it. Um, you know, the and those are just the power forwards. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do not know. You know, I, I think it's going to, as, as Carl said, sort of depend on, on what the options are. You know, the, the concern I have with Aldridge and, you know, with Millsap uh, and some of the other folks that are out there is, I mean, they're they're nearly 10 years older than Drummond. Yep. And if you're building around Drummond, you go out and max a guy who's going to be, you know, 34, 35 when Drummond gets in his prime. You know, I, I think there are a couple of people out there that look like they would fit and line up well, but... You know, for the most part, it's it's hard to see them moving their teams. I mean, is a Kawhi Leonard going to leave San Antonio? They have a ton of cap space. He's been great for them. You know, I I don't really see that. Is uh, uh, Butler going to leave uh, Chicago? You know, he he was great in that that Chicago game we just saw. But Chicago's got nothing if he leaves. And, and so, you know, if those guys get locked back up and, and they're 23, 24, you know, somebody like Dramon Green is, is a little bit older yet, but still close enough to being in the prime. But if we're looking at the 30-year-old crop of free agents, they just seem too old to be signing if we want to pair them with the group we've got right now. Actually, yeah, I forgot about Green. I mean, I just heard heard some, you know, there was a little blurb in the press about him saying he would love to come back to Detroit. So that's, I mean, the fact that he's willing to be, to be in Detroit is promising, but... Um, I see Alex shaking his head right now. 
Well, he, he, yeah, it is promising that he he's from Saginaw. He went to Michigan State. But uh, I read I read that blurb, and then I read the next day he was denying that he was like, "Where did that come from?" I don't know. <laughs> so, um, I mean, maybe that was just his team, the Golden State Warriors PR guy cluing him in that like that's not really cool going into the playoff run to have your fans start worrying about that. Um, yeah, Charles, I think the the age and when is your window open, and do you have a guy who's in the bad part of his contract on your team while Drummond is stepping into his prime? I think you're exactly right, and so we would not want to have a long-term deal for any of those guys. So really we are looking for more guys who are younger or guys who could fill in holes more. I'm really worried about Draymond Green as a prospect for us because he's playing awesome this year, and uh, famously Jeff Van Gundy has been saying on TV that just based on his defensive play alone, he's worth a max contract. And um, people read into that in Michigan because he, his brother is our coach and, G, and president or whatever his title is, the czar of uh, Detroit basketball. And so, uh, but man, the the knock on him up until now in his career has been, well, he's a tweener. He's he's a small forward size, except very thick around the chest, um, but not very tall. Um, but he's not quick enough to play small forward. So he's in this weird position in Golden State where they play him at the same time as Harrison Barnes, who's also a tweener. And they just they just both play small forward and power forward. They match up however it makes sense. If they start to get killed by some really big power forward, they can bring in David Lee, who's a legitimate big power forward. Not a defensive stopper, but he's the right size. So is he just in a unique situation there? He's you know where he's you know he's just able to focus on defense and passing the ball around he can hit enough threes to make it look good on paper, but he's taking all wide open threes because they have the, these killers and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry there um, who are taking all the focus. I, I'm Draymond Green makes me nervous because we we have we, we have some experience here in Detroit with uh, guys who you don't know if they're a small forward or power forward, but they're but who cares? They can defend either position and they're really athletic. And they can shoot threes maybe well enough. Uh, his name was Josh Smith. <laughs> that, that is a huge burn on Javon Green. <laughs> that, that I love Javon Green. His, uh, free agency is, is the next Josh Smith. I, it, just, it just makes me nervous. That my 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 job in life is to is to tell everybody what I'm worried about, and not I'm not I'm usually not Mister uh, Optimistic Vision about everything. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it does I'm pretty me... sure no one ever called Josh Smith another coach on the floor. <laughs> okay, that, no, that's true. That, that's true. I mean, people love Draymond Green, and people were talking awkwardly around whether they love Josh Smith. So that's fair. That's that's fair enough. They're not clones. I'm just saying he's a tweener, and maybe he's doing well in Golden State because of the personnel around him. Um, but, you know, hey, it, having a, a guy who's an awesome defender who can hit an open shot, um, there are worse people you can pay for or even overpay for than that. Um, that's for sure. He's not going to be a problem in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I would I would be a little bit worried if, if we didn't have enough offense around him. Uh, but, you know, he, he's interesting, he's young, and he's – uh, works. He'd be a good fit in terms of like defensive mindedness. Uh, he's a coach's dream. He, he keeps on getting better and better. Um, I, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think about Monroe at this point? I mean, if if we could get him for a max, I mean, we talked about this before the season started. At this point, I'm almost feeling like, uh, unless we feel like he's a bad match for for Drummond, in that he doesn't 
because he's, he's more of a post-up player and not uh, kind of be spreading things out at all by taking outside shots. Um, I don't know. It's like he's really good, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to get really good big men to come to Detroit. So, and he's, he's young as well. So that's a good matchup for the progression of our ascension to our next championship in theory. So, I mean, would you guys take, would you guys be excited to take on Moose if we could get, if we could get him for a max? You know, I feel like I'm, I'm coming around on this one. If you'd asked me this at the beginning of the season, I, I would be uh, really down on, on Monroe because of the fit issues with Drummond. They, they overlap on their position. Um, and, and they, they basically, their, their strengths are to do the same thing at the same time. Uh, you know, rebounding and, and low post baskets. But you're right. He, he has been really, really good this year. I mean, he can get shut down by really good long defenders. Uh, Nene gave him trouble today. You know, other guys of that ilk uh, he has trouble with. But, you know, th- those guys give everybody trouble. They're really good defenders. Uh, what we've seen with the Jennings period is that the, he can coexist. Drummond and Monroe can be an effective lineup. And that's something we couldn't say before this year. Yeah, had no evidence that they could ever be effective. <laughs> yeah, and, it, totally. you know, so that that's not for nothing. I mean, he's a good player. He's in our backyard. He's young. Uh, he and Drummond seem to get along. Um, I, I'd be hard pressed to let him walk at this point if you didn't have a really solid alternative. I agree. Yeah, just to throw my two cents in to to have a a guy who's arguably worth a max contract that we have access to. We we should probably just do it. I mean, it it's not like a if you can sign a guy to a max contract, free agent max contract. It's usually either that you're you know building a dream team and you're Pat Riley, or the guy's really not worth the max and he's willing to come to you because his his own team wasn't willing to pay it. You know, Monroe's one of the he's 24 years old and he's having a borderline all star season, and he's fitting in well enough and uh, he can. His skills complement Drummond. He can. He's a good passer. So even though it clogs up the lane a little bit, he's fleet enough of foot to be spin around and make a nice pass to Drummond. He misses a lot of layups, but he happens to be next to the best offensive rebounder of his generation. So yeah, they they kind of go. I, I'm surprised. I find myself surprised. They. He, he, I don't know if it's just that he's. He's aged into, like, my, my big theory about, like, big men just need to play long enough before they know where to be standing. Maybe he's just gotten there. Maybe it's just that he's in a contract year and he's trying harder. And, um, but for whatever reason, I've, I've completely turned around on this to, from being absolutely not to, to being like, well, okay, yeah, maybe we should probably do it. If it, a gun to my head, I would probably do it at this moment. Um, you know, it, it's not a slam dunk, but it's like, well... We'd probably regret it if we didn't. Yeah, and just and just seeing that they actually had have, have been effective together this year, and like what you guys just said, uh, I, I I agree. And I and I was going on the record as saying I, we shouldn't sign him to a max, just based on the idea that signing signing someone to a max has never been an all star is kind of a liability. Uh, that's sort of by definition, you're hard to be a max player. But there's all this stuff about the the contract <laughs> going up, et cetera, et cetera. So. I don't know. They played well together, and you know they clean up the glass. That like, and it's just a fun. And if Drummond is comfortable in the long run, being kind of the Moses Malone offensive rebounding juggernaut, and not and not developing into a, a go-to post player, that could also continue to be a good match. That might be a harder match in the long run if Drummond is feeling like he wants to become more like a Dwight Howard or something, and, and kind of be a go-to post player. But who knows? Uh, so why don't we uh, just take a quick look at the at the outlook for the playoffs? I mean. 
we're a half game out right now. Neither Charlotte nor Brooklyn really feel like uh, – I feel like if we play well enough, we should be able to get past them. We're, we're right with them right now. Uh, Kemba Walker is injured, and he won't be back for another, I don't know, 10 games or so. Brooklyn doesn't, seem, doesn't really scare me. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? And then Miami with, um, with Bosch, the poor guy, just finding out about that lung uh, blood clots. Uh, even though they got, they just got Dragic, I feel like that may, means that maybe they're someone we could get past. Besides that, I don't think we can really count on getting past anybody else. But um, any, what do you guys think? You know, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I, part of it's the, the lead's just so big at this point. I mean, Milwaukee's sitting there at, you know, what, like eight games ahead of us, nine games ahead of us. Uh, you know, to get in that Milwaukee-Washington range, those teams would have to fall apart. And there's some uncertainty with Milwaukee now. I mean, they, they traded away their, their point guard, and, and this year anyway, I would say their best player in Brandon Knight, former Piston. <laughs> uh, and and they, they got Michael Carter-Williams, a, a very polarizing uh, uh, figure, who, who seems to be sort of just a, a clone of Jason Kidd, but uh, who knows? Um, you know, so if they stumble, maybe we could catch up. But we would have to go, you know, in 30 games, we'd have to go 20 and 10 or something to, you know, have a reasonable shot of catching one of those teams if they didn't just start tanking. Yeah, I agree, and and we're we're in for a tough stretch here. Uh, we we have um, I think our next game is Cleveland, which will be really hard. Then we play New York at home, which is a, a gimme. We better win that one. After that, we play thirteen of eighteen on the road, and because we're in the midst of a nice homestand here, so we we really have to have Jackson, you know, start to be noticeably better than than uh, Jennings and Augustine were on defense, and then you know. Uh, as good as they were or similar on offense. And and then we'll be the sort of 500-team type of pace that we need to just sort of chip away and steadily make sure we stay at that 7th, 8th seed spot. Miami, I, I really don't know what to expect with them, but they're so – I think Dragic is a really great player. Um, he, he was third-team All-NBA third all last year, and, he, and when he plays without um, – you know, three other point guards on the floor at the same time, like it was in Phoenix. He puts up really good numbers, and he'll and he's playing for a contract, so he'll play really hard. It's just that Miami is so thin on their bench, and they lost Bosch, and they were, and they had already signed Josh McRoberts this year to fill in, and he he's out he has long been out for the year. Um, so I think they they could probably fight to stay about where they are. Um, it, it all depends on whether you know Dwayne Wade, when healthy, is now on you know his his new official legal name, not just Dwayne Wade. And so it just it just all depends on that for them. So they could stay in the playoff hunt or drop out. Brooklyn, I mean, you just have no idea what's going on with them. They just they're they've won four of their last ten. They're playing at about that pace for this year. They're just sort of anchored right at the. Uh, 41, 42 percent winning percentage. So we just have to, if we just play better than we are now for the rest of the season, we'll pass them because they've got nothing else in the tank. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah I, I, it, it all comes down to does Jackson's tryout go well? If it does, I feel like we're in, and if and if it doesn't, we're out. Yeah, it seems like. Assuming everyone else kind of stays the course, we control our destiny, and we have a reason to think we could make a little bump. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and mentioning Miami, and having just thought mentioned Monroe as the, I mean uh, Drummond as our the best offensive rebounder in the league. What the hell is up with Whiteside? He's he's actually maybe better than Drummond at being uh, at, at 
at, at a re- at offensive rebound, like offensive rebounding possession right now, uh, percentage, I mean, which is just crazy. He's, a, he's been an absolute beast. He had like 10 blocks one game. Uh, so, I mean, that was the other thing. I, I felt like just before Bosch got injured, you had Whiteside, Bosch, and, uh, and then Dragic. And I felt like they could be kind of a surprise you know, Eastern Conference contender, but then, then you know, I just—I actually am bummed that Bosch got injured. Or Bosch is uh, out because I thought that could have been an interesting story. And it's not like we would have been playing them in the in the playoffs either. We would have made it and not played them or not. So I, I'm just bummed that that happened. It's a, it's a terrible injury, and it's actually something that uh, has occurred a couple times now. Uh, Jerome Kersey, the the former Portland Trailblazer, recently died, and, and that was a complication from blood clots in the lungs. And I'd read somewhere that uh, Serena Williams had had blood clot problems, uh, and the other big on Miami, um, who's the guy that's been around there for forever? He was on all their championship oh, teams. No, no, oh, no. no. Um, oh. This is our, our collective uh, brain fart here. Um, uh, I, know, I can picture him. He, the University of Miami is where he played, but I can. It's probably faster to just. Oh, then, and then uh, Toledovic is that the, on the Nets? He also is out due to the same condition, actually. Yeah, he's out. Well, the other Miami player, and, and I'll eventually get to his name, but uh, he had developed lung cl- uh, blood clots in his lungs when he was out with an injury uh, a couple years ago, and he had to go through the same lung. thing. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so Haslam had to go through the exact same thing, and, and basically the deal is you, you get on blood thinners, and you've got to be on blood thinners for six months. And when you're on blood thinners, you can't participate in physical activities. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're just shut down. You're done. This is yeah. something I, I've known people uh, sort of in, in real life, not just sports, who get this. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's a serious deal. Yeah, we, we, know, we know someone who... Uh, has uh is going to be on the blood thinners just from now on as a result of that um um but on the, the hassan Whiteside thing the only thing i the, his name had stuck in my mind because um john hollinger when he worked for espn did this like i think regression based model for who who's going to do well based on historical data and his model i think i remember said Whiteside was going to be good and so that name always stuck in my head uh, and you know he was like drafted in the second round or something and was out of the league um and then now he's come back it, it, it's it's miraculous to have a guy go from like coaches look at him and they're like no he's not worth a 10 day contract to suddenly he puts up a 2020 game what the heck yeah it's a it's inspirational i guess but it's also a real head scratcher well so i mean we're we're looking pretty decent like we can if we play well enough we can make the playoffs and uh give a good fight in the first round of the playoffs. I will say that if somehow we ended up facing Toronto, that's the one team I feel like we might be able to beat in a sort of miraculous first-round series. Uh, or maybe Washington. I guess we just beat them today. Uh, but I would not I would not feel good about the Bulls, the Hawks, or, um, the, Cavs. or the Cavs. So it, would, it has to be uh, Washington or Toronto for us to, to go into that with any sort of hope. I, I'm more optimistic than, than that, guys. I, I think that... Uh... If, if we go into the playoffs, um, we'll probably have been a 60% win team for the last half of the season. And we'll be a team that has three or two, two uh, veteran uh, wings who can play defense. Uh, we'll be a team that has two bigs who can get teams in foul trouble. You know, when I saw that Chicago game, I saw a team that did not want to play us because we were bullying their bigs. 
Uh, Noah, he's a good defensive big, but he's a finesse player. Gasol, he's even more of a finesse player. And they don't want any part of banging against Monroe and Drummond for a series. So I'm I'm optimistic that that we're actually an odd matchup for a number of teams. Uh, Not that we're some juggernaut ourselves, but that uh, our strengths are not what other teams' strengths are. Oh, that that Kool Aid's looking pretty good, Charles, and you're selling it well. (laughs) Yeah, you're talking to the right guys, that's for sure. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, this has been fun. I mean, I I feel bad we didn't even cover the other trade. Um, uh, Getting Tayshon back is really fun, and uh, it's kind of a bummer to lose Singler um, because he's a good and 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 to have Jonas Jonas leave the team after you know being a second round draft pick, working his way up to being a useful player. Uh, tearing his Achilles. I think he lived with Ar- trainer Arnie Kander for a year while he did his rehab, lived in his house and did all this stuff. And, you know, uh, sad to see him go. And I, I, I had always thought that he would be, you know, a rotation player for the long term for us if he signed for a reasonable deal. But, uh, you know, I guess, I guess, uh, Van Gundy just thought, hey, that doesn't leave enough room for Anthony Tolliver. So. Uh, he's expendable. He was a, he he had an expiring contract, and so does Tayshon. So it's more it was more just plugging a hole. Uh, we you know having a veteran small forward. Yeah. So between Karan Butler and Tayshon Prince, we have like 300 years of, ex, of playoff experience on uh, at the small forward position. So we'll, one of them ha- is going to be healthy and ready to go for any 10 minute stretch. Uh, you know, hey, that, that's good. We're we're actually trying to win. The, Good for us. That's what so, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, thanks again, Charles, for joining us. I hope this – I don't think this will be the last time. And I felt – I kind of feel like I'm talking to two Alexes here in terms of the level of knowledge of the game and the, the stats at hand. So this is this has been fun. Um, all right, so until next time, hopefully uh, we'll have a, a few games under our belt with Jackson on our team and we'll have be able to t- talk intelligently about what our verdict is in terms of whether he's our future. All right, thanks. Great. Thanks, guys.